0: What's it gonna take for you to finally break up with your bullshit? Think what you could do if you could only break up with your bullshit. Aww. Well, hello there and welcome to the Break Up With Your Bullshit podcast. My name is Michelle Egan. If you do not know me, well, why not? I am a coach. I work one-on-one with creative humans on working to get their art out of them and into the world. Been doing that since 2012. Met a lot of people along the way and I bring them onto this podcast to pick their brain about how they have achieved success with their art. How they are um, living that dream and, and uh, demystifying the dream a bit too because uh, pretty much everyone I talk to uh, experiences this weird disconnect between Oh, I live this life, and people think it's this way, but it's actually this way. And and I think a lot of up and coming or um, p- up and coming artists or people who haven't quite gotten started could use a bit of demystifying around that. So you get that we're all we're all um, starting from similar places, and um, and a lot of this is just mindset games. So uh, so I hope that this episode and any of the other ones can support you in working to get your art out of you because the world needs it uh so at the time of this recording my breakup with your bullshit live event which is a digital event happening on february 20th is almost sold out so i don't know where it's going to be when this episode actually airs and this episode will air the same week it'll air on the monday prior to the actual event. And so it very well may be completely sold out. Hold up. Okay, there. I'm gonna stop you right there. Pass me. I'm gonna let you finish. But it's just a uh, current day, Michelle interrupting for a moment because pass me didn't know a lot of stuff. And I could leave it like that. But I actually need to give you a few updates before I let her keep talking. First of all, the Breakup With Your Bullshit live event did sell out. And then I started getting Yeah, harassed is a strong word, but um, (laughs) I got uh, propositioned by a number of people asking if they could still get tickets. And so if you are listening to this before 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday, February 15th, you can sign up for my email list and get into bullshit detention, which is where I send everyone who didn't buy their ticket in the first place, but then asked me for one later. So uh, look for the link for that on the page on my website, com. It's easy to find. And uh, one other thing. So in this episode, uh, Corinne and I talk a bit about Marilyn Manson. And I just wanted to mention briefly that this episode was recorded before the allegations came out against him. And she has talked about it on her Instagram and on her podcast, I'm sure, at this point. Um, but... <clears throat> Just wanted to give you the spatial time awareness that this happened before that all happened. So I asked her and she she's told the stories that she told on this podcast many times before. So she she didn't want me to to cut any of them out. Uh, But if you want to know more about where she sits with him now, you can go check out Without a Country podcast or Guys We Fucked. I'm not sure which one she talked about it on, but it could be either one Um, or go scan her Instagram and that's it. So I'm going to let it, uh, give it back to past me in the cute dress. So go check it out. And if it, you know what? If, it's, if it is sold out, there's probably a waiting list by now. So sign up for the waiting list. My guest today is the incomparable Corinne Fisher, host of the Guys We Fucked podcast, um, as well as Without a Country, as well as a stand-up comedian who is absolutely hilarious. I've known her since we were both interns at Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 2006. And she was a badass then, she's a badass now. And we had a very colorful conversation about a whole bunch of stuff. I would say the, the front half of this podcast is a lot of personal stories and catching up, and it's really fun. The second half is very laden with Talk around creativity and creative process and getting past all of the different blocks. And she's got some real gems, especially right at the end. So um, I recommend listening to the whole thing. And I'm um, just giving you a roadmap of what to expect. So please enjoy this interview with Corinne Fisher. With what is this painting, this mural behind you? Oh, it's a 16 foot mural of me and my dog. <laughs> I'll show you it. Got it. Yes.
1: <laughs> Based off a photo shoot, I didn't do the photo shoot with my dog, but that way I added the dog. I had a lady from uh, an artist from Australia like squat here for like a week and a half, right when I, this so that was the first thing I did when I bought this place. Um and uh yeah, so I uh I thought it you know, it's it sets a real tone for people.
0: I like that you're sitting between your own legs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like it. I enjoy that. It's like, it's like Rihanna, like I, I feel like Rihanna poses like that a lot and I think she has like a nice, like she's feminine but has a strong masculine energy as well and I appreciate that. Huh.
0: I think I like that about her too without realizing that that's why. Yeah, I like. I tend to like people who, well, I mean, it tends
1: like people who are like me but that I also tend, to, which people misread as like narcissism a lot but my therapist actually said it's like a very just healthy way to be. And I, cause I also like sometimes like develop crushes on people after they tell me that they have a crush on me. And I was like, is that psychotic? And she's like, no, that's actually like the, the functioning way to be. She's like so many people try to chase after people who aren't interested in them. And that's like low self-esteem. And I was like, oh, great. Everything's fine. I guess I can fire you.
0: <laughs> My therapist tries to get herself fired pretty much every week with the shit she says to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> really good though. I've never heard that before and that just helped me. So yeah. I'm
1: happy to, happy to help.
0: By the way, I put, I got my tits out because you know, it's you. So I was I like, loved it. I was, is that, is that
1: one of your pieces from black milk clothing or where is that dress from? Yes. Or okay. is it a dress or a top?
0: It's a dress. I don't have the belt on right now. Um, but it's yeah. like, cool. Ooh,
1: that's nice. I love like the graffiti style art on it.
0: I have a few of these dresses and they look like a sack if you don't put a belt on. And I just forgot the belt. I forgot to bring the belt with me. But it kind of also is very constraining. So I'm like, mm, can't see the belt anymore. Anyway. When
1: you're when you're sitting a belt, it, it doesn't feel good. I love it. And I appreciate it. As a small, chested woman, I always get really upset when people with huge tits aren't showing them all the time. My, I mean, I would have basically up until, I mean, I might, sometimes, you know, I, on my Instagram stories, I show a little areola. I try to get as much in as possible, really.
0: I appreciate that about you
1: <laughs>
0: I don't care <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff about you that I'm like I, I, I I'm like, I have to watch this. I have to like be inspired by you because you just own the shit out of it.
1: Oh thanks. I try to I mean well you know you only, you only really got one shot unless I guess I was a cat in my past life, and then I have several, but I don't feel like I was. <laughs> That's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the woman I spoke to, I've been a human for many lifetimes. So that's why I feel so tired, but
0: of any of what were those past lives or any of the roles? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently
1: I've been in the entertainment business for many lifetimes. And I was like, I was an actress, like in a, I can't remember if she said Greek or Roman, but I was an actress in a Greek or Roman company, like one of the stars of it. So not like world renowned, but I don't think in those times you it would be even possible to be world renowned because you wouldn't have the technology. You could only be, you know, as far as people could physically travel to see you or hear about you. So I was like, that's cool. I always thought I was like, I truly did believe for a long time that I was a dog in a past life. Um, so I was a little disappointed that I've been a human for so long, but maybe before that I was, yeah. And it feels weird also. I feel like I'm like, you know, while it was, it's exciting to know that I was like, I guess, you know, in the public eye for many lifetimes, it also feels like, oh no, well, is, have I become stagnant now? That, that was my first thought. I guess like most people would be like, oh, that's like so cool. I've been like, you know, in the public eye for many lifetimes. And my first thought was like, hmm, I got, I need some upward movement. I feel like this is, I'm stuck.
0: Yeah. Like next life, what's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. What's your next so, one?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I guess you have to go once you like uh, achieve your, your worldly, like this realm goals, you have to go into like spirituality, which is what I was afraid of. So here we are.
0: <laughs> Maybe I can help you. Yeah. You into some of that world. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks for being here. Um, I I know I already told you this, but I want to talk about how we met. Do you remember, yeah. like, the day we met, do you remember meeting? Because I just, I just have a vague blob memory of of being in a conference room with you every single day. Uh, for yeah,
1: I have the same. I don't remember the ex- the exact moment, but I think that's because I was meeting. You know, we're we're meeting so many people at the same time. But I feel like didn't didn't you start a couple days like a little bit after me? Because I feel like I remember you coming in and being like the new intern. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I remember you coming in. Um, so then I mean, like, I don't remember meeting you, but I remember the day and I remember one of the first things we did was, was you were very, um, eager, like in a good way to help. And, you know, we had to do coffee runs and I remember, I think I took you on one of your first coffee runs, to the commissary, um, and kind of like, you know, taught, I don't want to say taught you how to get coffee, but like taught you how to get coffee for that show.
0: I didn't drink coffee. So
1: I I didn't drink coffee either was the problem.
0: (laughs) One of of my first, uh, for people who don't know, we we interned at Late Night with Conan O'Brien when he was still on NBC. Um, But one of my first runs was to get Conan's coffee.
1: Yeah. It would always be so stressful when you were getting something for Conan specifically.
0: My first day I had to go get his dinner.
1: Mm, From the Asian restaurant in Times Square?
0: From the Red Eye Grill.
1: Oh, okay. Because there was like two places that he would get it from – yeah, it was. Oh, it was like, and they
0: were all like wildly expensive <laughs> and far away. And I yeah. had a physical map of New York City that I was using. Oh, that's really cute. That's like my mom. <laughs> I mean, otherwise we were printing out hop stop directions because we didn't have smartphones. Yeah, yeah. These interns these days, they have it so fucking easy.
1: I mean, sometimes I'm like going when, especially like being on the road a lot as a stand up comedian. I I don't know how the fuck people did it. My mom has driven across the country two times using only paper maps, mm-hmm. like, and different routes because she wanted to see all the states. And I was like, that is impressive. Yeah. Like, I can, I can, I mean, I forgot how to drive altogether, to be honest, but, <laughs> oh,
0: well. Hmm? When was the last time you drove? Uh,
1: God, I don't remember, 10 years ago. Wow. I don't remember. I mean, because I'm 35. I moved to New York City when I was 17. Um, But so I had basically just gotten my driver's license. I never have owned a car because I knew I was going to go to college in the city. So there was, you know, I have a late birthday. It would have been like not even a year. I would have used it. And I lived within walking distance of my high school. So there, And I had enough friends with cars. There was just no point. Um, And so, yeah. And then, you know, a couple of years after, you know, for during college and stuff, I would still drive myself. During the summer to like jobs at the mall, but I've also never really driven long distance. So I was never like a super confident driver and I didn't love it. So then once I moved to the city, I was like, I don't need to do this anymore. And now I'm kind of like, especially during the pandemic, I'm like, uh, I need, you know, I I'm going to go take driving lessons so I can relearn because, it's weird. And it's also weird that I still have my license. So like legally there's nothing stopping me from driving. It's just my own like knowing that I shouldn't do it, that I have other people drive me places.
0: That's really, my husband lived in New York for 15 years before we moved out to Jersey once we had our kid and I drive everywhere. I mean, he can drive, but yeah. I'm just way more comfortable with it. Cause even when we would yeah a car or something in Brooklyn, I drove and that's more right. freak shit than anything, but like I, I yeah driving um and also we're in New Jersey which is like it's my stomping ground so you know I just drive everywhere <laughs>
1: Of course. And I feel like also like being trained as a New Jersey driver, like that's, that's like the ultimate road test because we're such wackadoo drivers in a, you know, in the home state.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Once I got into Manhattan, I was like, the only difference here is that no one uses blinkers at all. Like we use blinkers in Jersey. Sometimes we fuck each other over with them, but like in New York, body language, you have to watch the body language of the car and you kind of know that they're about to move. And so you just vibe, you just vibe. Right. uh, like, yeah, you gotta, kinda, you gotta feel the move. Yeah. And I like, that's actually, that kind of driving works really well for me when I have to make decisions about what's about to happen next. That's when I get a little, yeah.
1: so. Right, right, right. And also, I mean, like, not that this is a great way to drive around, but like, I do feel like, unless you're on the FDR, like you'd have to be doing something absolutely fucking crazy to really like get hurt. Cause like, you know, messing up your car is something like fixable, but like, obviously like getting injured is not. So I just get nervous when like, I feel like someone could die. Like if it's just my car, that's going to get fucked up. Like, okay, well we can handle that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm always, I'm constantly nervous about dying, which I heard recently is not normal. I mean, it's not like, it keeps me up at night, but I do, I think about dying like every day. Not, not, not because I want to quite the opposite because I don't want to. I do too. I'm like If I put in so, if I put in all this fucking work and then I, and then I died like tomorrow, I would be, Piss.
0: Pretty much every time I get in my car, I think about it. And I think, like, Yeah,
1: that's
0: why I don't like driving. <laughs> I mean, it is like, you know, but I get in and I kind of review my life. I, I'm just yeah. this as you're saying it, that I definitely do this.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, it's so uncomfortable. And it's weird because I used to be like that with airplanes. And, you know, statistically, you have more of a chance of dying in your car. But like, I'll be looking up. I look up death statistics everywhere. Like one time a couple years ago, my ex boyfriend wanted to go to a gun range because they had just opened like the first shooting range in New Jersey. And like, I'm not, I'm anti-gun, but I kind of like came to terms with the fact that they're never going to go away. So I wanted to learn how to use one so I could feel more comfortable with one. That was my logic. Um, and I've, you know, shot a couple times since then. Uh, but I absolutely looked up on Wikipedia, uh, that like how many people had died in it. And there was, had only been one death and it wasn't like someone went crazy. It was a pure accident because they let a nine-year-old shoot a gun that was way too big for her. Um... And it, and she ended up killing the instructor cause it like fucking Ugh. bucked back and it, yeah. So it was like a number one, a freak accident. And I was like, okay, well, if I just, you know, if I see a child with a gun, I'll exit.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I've done it.
1: Like a child from New Jersey. It's like New Jersey kids aren't, you know, Ohio kids. We don't, we don't know how to like shoot and ski and all these things that people who grew up in the Midwest know how to do. Because no. people were like blown away that I didn't know how to ski, and I'm like, yeah, in New Jersey, you only skied as a child if you were rich. Yeah. This is not like just something everyone did. I wasn't rich. Yeah, <laughs> so there's no ski
0: trips happening. I tagged a yeah. boyfriend's youth group trip. I tagged along on the ski trip, and the assholes that he was with brought me up on the top of a mountain when I hadn't even learned, and I just oh my god, skated down. Like thank God I didn't die. I'm pretty sure I could have died really easy people people die all the
1: time skiing i think like the younger you are actually the better it is because you're closer to the ground because you're shorter obviously your your body's just kind of more resilient and you don't have like enough knowledge to fear to fear death in the correct way yet which i think helps
0: kids yeah well this is great just death. (laughs) speaking of um nope I don't have a transition I I was thinking about when we uh when we were working together on the intern team and how at the same time I was completely scared of you
1: and oh yeah that's a common
0: thing (laughs) I mean you're just really direct but I think at the same time I was like I want to be like that because I was so I was like I was I was in a relationship um I said this to to um my producer here, Ming. I was in a relationship with someone at the time who called me "pain in the ass," and I put up with that.
1: I like that as your as your pet name. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's fun. Yeah. Richard. Well, how you were? What were you were like? Nineteen? Like, how old were you? I'm the same age as you. So when we were at Conan, we would have been. Mm-hmm. I was. I mean, I was. I wasn't 21 at any point. So I think I was 19 or 20 because I specifically couldn't drink. And I remember like we used to go to bars afterwards where they didn't ID yeah. but or maybe only I, like, you know, like back in the day when they wouldn't ID at the door, but during the weekdays, the bartender would just uh, ID you when you got the drink. And so like Sarah and people like that would... Would get shots and I would order a Diet Coke. And then we would do this thing where we like dramatically cheers each other. And as we were cheering, they would dump the shot into my Diet Coke. Cause I hadn't drank at all like in college. I only started drinking a little bit at Conan.
0: Wow. So I didn't drink until I was almost 21. And I remember getting drinks on my last day with y'all at one of those bars uh yeah but you're all talking and I got like an amarillo sour or something and and I think that there was no carding or I can't remember what exactly happened it was a very it was very scandalous a lot of the things I went out and did with y'all for me like I was so yeah. straight I just like um I didn't smoke weed I didn't drink I mean neither. I still don't smoke weed yeah really?
1: <laughs> no it doesn't work on me uh it like doesn't I have some kind of a THC block and I people always like look at me like, How can that possibly be? But I mean, I have tried to consume weed in every way. I've eaten it, I've drank it, I've smoked it through every kind of thing. And people are like, maybe you're just not inhaling. And I was like, I've done DMT. Like, I know how to inhale you fucking babies. I was like, I think I'm just, I'm just like, I started with mushrooms. So I think my brain is just like, what is this baby food? (laughs) Like it doesn't know. Also like, I'm not really interested in, in, in downers because I mean, I have anxiety right now for some things that are like going on in my personal life, but like overall, I am not a person with anxiety. I have situational anxiety, like, you know, like everyone. Um, but like, so I don't need, I don't have trouble sleeping. Like I don't need that for me. I always want something like you know, I've never done cocaine because I knew I would love it because I'm like anything that I can get more done, like that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Like, a, you know, so a glass of wine is like more than enough. Like weed, I don't need to be that low. Like I I would just be like sleeping for days if I smoked pot all the time.
0: There's definitely a, 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 an amount of weed you can smoke that then puts you right to bed. So it's, yeah. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast about how um, there's a certain kind of weed that when I smoke it, I immediately hear music. <clears throat> In your head, full songs, full fucking songs. Oh, and I can go and like sing it into my phone, and then I can take that and go record parts of a song. And and, like most of the music I've written is stoned music. That's really cool, rad. Like it's it's like a portal opens up, and it's like I
1: love that.
0: here's your entire music library what would you like to make today and i'm like oh well
1: yeah that's i'm yeah i'm definitely like into like things that make you more creative i'm very into that and that's why i like i love i love acid obviously you can't do it very often you'll you know enter another dimension permanently but i do like i enjoy it a lot definitely like a nice vacation without having to go anywhere
0: (laughs) i'm I'm having i'm planning uh, uh trying that for the first time very soon nice huh.
1: yeah yeah i think it's better to do in your 30s a lot of people do all these drugs when they're teenagers or in their 20s and i don't know i mean i th- a lot of people have you know positive experiences but i just feel like you got to save something for later on in life otherwise what are you going to do
0: a lot of things uh, as, and uh, especially becoming a parent <laughs> <laughs> do- yeah. yeah i mean i was 31
1: I think. Mm-hmm. And that feels, that still feels so young to me. That, I, I was in the car today with my dog coming back from a road gig and I was like, I can't even, I, I'm, I can't fathom having a child. I mean, I also don't want to, so I think, think that's why, but uh, it just seems so foreign to me. And I like, and I like kids. I just don't know how I would do it. Like, it's so impressive, you know, people who are still working, still being creative like yourself and then raising a child, having a functioning household. Like, wow. <laughs> a lot of help.
0: And, yeah? Well, my mother-in-law came and lived with us uh, right after the baby was born. And um, we were like, why don't you stay? And so she's sort of like our au pair. Uh-huh. for her apartment and her food and all her stuff, and she's full-time. Oh, wow. And then oh, wow. Uh, my brother-in-law also came to stay with her a bunch, and then he ended up staying for good. So he walks the dogs. He takes out the trash. He does, like, mm-hmm. little things for us. He takes care of the baby, too. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like it's a full- She's being raised by four people.
1: Oh, so it's like a full community. Because I, I—that's the you know—that's the only appeal I ever saw to like having sister wives. Cause I was like, I couldn't handle all that energy, but then I was like, well, hmm, maybe I would want to have kids if I had sister wives, I could see that. Cause I don't, I have no problem raising other people's kids. Like that doesn't bother me. And I, I would just need help and like, and make sure that everyone is, you know, giving somewhat good advice. <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect.
0: There's a lot of it. it I think um, ultimately what I notice about having a kid is that it just slows down mm-hmm. some of what I'm doing. Like I've been mm-hmm. working on a book with a friend of mine for almost four years now, and it probably would have been done otherwise. Right. right.
1: <laughs> She's I mean, uh, even without kids, people do that all the time though. You know, it took like Lynn and Miranda like eight years to write Hamilton. And I mean, it's great, but you probably could have done it faster Lynn. I was working for Lynn at the time. I mean, for for his management company. Oh, That's right. how I, why I know, it. I know the specifics of it, but I just, I just always use that as an example because I'm, fa- I'm, I've always been fascinated by his work process and I do use some of it. Um, as far as like, cause I have, uh, so many ideas that I have trouble focusing sometimes. Um, and you know, he was really, you know, turning down a lot of other stuff while he was working on Hamilton. And I think it shows in the final product that he was like, you know what, I'm going to, say no to some of these short-term opportunities, some of these little guest star roles on TV shows and stuff. And I'm working towards this goal, my own creation. And then obviously, I mean, Hamilton, I mean, I'm sure he will do many more things, but Hamilton could be the only thing he would do and it would he'd be set for life easily, yeah. so.
0: For real. And it's so, yeah. I'm telling the detail orientation of the thing. There's just mm-hmm. the amount of things that are references that will go over most people's heads is startling. Right. Um, yeah.
1: And so that's good. So it has a complexity, almost like a, the way Disney does it, where it's like, they have the complexity so that a child can enjoy it on one level, but also adults who have to bring children to the movie aren't bored because there's these little um, Easter eggs in there.
0: 100%. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so back to the thing about being scared of you. Cause you know, I I think it's <laughs> uh, you also, you put your opinion on loudspeaker. And so when people do that, instead of, veiling everything that they think, it's scarier to stand in front of them because you know you're going to hear the truth. It's not going to come out later on a side comment, which I actually have a pet peeve about, you know, people holding back things. So, right. but then to actually be with someone who doesn't hold back is, it's scary, but it's like, that's what you want. You want to feel alive in relationships, not like you're fucking pretending, you know? When right. so when I, when, when I or anyone says they're scared of you, or intimidated by you, I think it's, it's mostly that it's like, they're intimidated by the intimacy of being around you because you're not going to filter yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, a lot of it is like, it just, I'm moving at a fast pace. So to me, it's not, it's not some kind of like strategic thing or manipulation. It's just literally like, I don't have time to pretend or act because to me putting the time and energy into that is taking time away from me achieving my, my, my goals or, you know, it's just, and not not even in a selfish way. Just like there's just absolutely no reason for it. I mean, also, it's funny that you're from New Jersey, and I can't imagine anyone from New Jersey failing their opinion. But <laughs> but it, it is funny, and also, like I'm a, I'm an Italian Jew, so it's like you know. And I think it's I, I I try not to be like obnoxious about it because I also don't like people who like also give unsolicited opinions that aren't necessary. Like who, if you walk in in an outfit, they're like that outfit's ugly. Like, and I think there's a difference between that um, and someone asking your opinion and you not sugarcoating it. And I really try to to do that, (laughs) that one and not the one where you're like, I hate your haircut. Like when no one asked, but
0: that's kind of like, that's the kind of transparency that my grandma brought to the table. And then like, I, I don't know. I think um, I'm a lot different now than I was, you know, when we were interning, obviously. I mean, I would hope so. Jesus, it's 2006. So um, yeah, yeah. I'm a little different. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the reason I, w- I was even, like, pulled toward you at all was because you had these characteristics that I was like, I want that. How do I get like that? I want to be like – like um. it, it, and you're right. You were moving really quickly because I remember um, – all of a sudden you were starting a, an intern newsletter and getting people on staff to write segments. And I think I wrote, I wrote something once. Um, but that was like, to me that, that really resonated for me too. Cause I was always someone in class in college or whatever, who would think of something other than what the professor was asking for. And then go to them and be like, Hey, I know that you want to write, you want us to write a term paper, but I would like to make a movie. Can I do that?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Fucking hate me. They're like, how come you have to make a movie? I'm like, because I asked.
1: Right. And I think this is a good lesson to learn, especially for women. Um, Like, can I try something different? Because, like, the, the worst thing that's going to happen is your professor said no. I, you know, like the, the professor's not going to get mad at you. And if they did get mad at you, well, that's, like, really not a good professor. Because especially in a learning environment, you should be uh, encouraged to take risks or at least speak your mind.
0: Yeah, my professor was thrilled. He was thrilled. Good. Yeah, one more dog. thing that they didn't have to, like,
1: he or she didn't have to fucking correct, and they could just
0: watch. Totally. But on the day, we were supposed to go up in front of the room and present our paper, talk about our paper. And when it came time for me, he was just like, okay, and went over and shut the lights off. And everyone's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's a sensory reading. <laughs> but I feel like it was similar. There was I had a few similar experiences working with you at Conan because I feel like we both were not – I wouldn't say opportunistic, but someone might label it that way. Like just looking for, looking for ways to like get in with people and, and have people know who we were and uh, get down onto the studio floor when certain guests were coming on so we could get a closer look at them or, you know, like get other opportunities while we were I
1: heard Paul Rod was there. I was like, I'm getting there. If I have to fight security. Oh
0: I don't even care. I once saw Paul Rudd. I had just done. I had just filmed something at ninety-two Y Trebekah. and um, and 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 afterwards, it was like I don't know. There's some kind of thing on the stage, and then like he was just in the audience, like a normal, and he's just standing there. <laughs> and it's like time to leave, and people are going to the coat room and doing stuff, and I just see him, and he we our eyes met. And I just turned and walked away because I was like, I can't have a bad interaction with Paul Rudd. So I'm just not going to have one at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and, that, and that's one way to approach it. And honestly, sometimes like <clears throat> for me, the, the meetings that I've had with my favorite celebrities in my mind, like it's almost impossible that the actual interaction could meet that the only time it's ever happened that my dream of meeting someone was just as good, uh, you know, as I had hoped, was with Marilyn Manson. So, and I mean, I've been thinking about it for two years. <laughs> what happened? And it was—it's funny because it was not a by—it it wasn't a by chance meeting. And and I, you know, usually with celebrities, a by chance meeting is going to be better than a paid opportunity or one where you like, you know, premeditated know you're going to meet the person. But this was a fan situation. He was playing PNC Bank Arts Center. Yeah, I think it was two years ago, two summers ago, and my. Best friend Tommy and I went. We're big Marilyn Manson fans, and we just go to a lot of concerts together in general. Um, And it was so funny. I was on a plane on my way back from a gig, and I guess it had been announced that for $500 you could meet Marilyn Manson before. And so when I landed, I got like a text from my friend that was like, Hey, do you want to do this? And then the, the, like, I didn't respond fast enough. So he's like, I already bought it. Like, so he had spent just a thousand dollars for both of us. and like, we're not, you know, he's not loaded or anything. Um, and it, and it's great. Cause I, of course responded. I was like, I'm so glad you made the correct decision. Cause a hundred percent. Yes. Like, so if that had sold out and we didn't get to meet him, I would have been devastated. Um, And so they took us, you know, group by group before the concert, maybe groups of about 20 people. And then you would go on the tour bus, maybe like 10 by 10. And you actually got to go on Marilyn Manson's tour bus and it's like dark. And he's like sitting there because he has to sit because he's fucking huge. I don't even think he could stand fully erect on his own tour bus. He's so tall. Um, And you got to take, uh, you got to take one Polaroid with him and you had to put like everything else away. You couldn't even bring, you know, your phone or anything on the tour bus. And we just had like a, you know, an, an interaction. And I had planned, I was like, I need to make this special. So number one, I made him like this whole gift bag, um, that uh, they, they did, I gave it to his security, but I know it got to him. Cause I also told him about it. And then I, uh, I was like, Hey, I want to do like a fun one for the Polaroid. And he was like, kind of just looked at me like, what? And I was like, no, like, I'm not going to like touch your dick or anything. I just want you to give us bunny ears. Like very, like very, I, cause I'm like, I was like with the look in his eyes, I was like, what have people asked you to do? And then I was like, that's right. You're fucking Marilyn Manson. I'm sure people have been like, can you bite me like a vampire and drink my blood? So, you know, I forgot. I was like, no, I just want like a cute, quirky. I thought it would be funny for someone so, like, macabre to do something so whimsical. That was my whole, you know, thing. And I, he has, you know, I've heard he has a good sense of humor, so I thought he would do it. And he, like, definitely did it for the first one, and it was so cute, just like I knew it would be. And then, right before we were about to take the second one, because we got two, because one for me, one for my best friend, Um, he, like, turned to me and very, like, it was, like, a little seductive and a little dry, and he was, like, you can touch my dick in this one. And I was, like, ah! and like he said it with like he said it obviously he was joking but he he, like I knew if I had wanted to touch his dick in that moment that I could and so like I put my hand on his thigh like as close as I was comfortable getting to his dick like in my heart I did want to touch it but I also like it's not gonna be fun for me like with my guy best friend sitting next you know so, <laughs> but yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, I don't want to, I don't want to molest you, um, but thank you. And it was just like very awkward. It was fun though. He like has a really good, he has a really good sense of humor. So we had a good laugh and it was just, he's very erotic. And I, you know, cause a lot of times I have this thing where anyone I have a crush on when I actually have an interaction with them, I'm no longer attracted to them, but I'm even more attracted to Marilyn Manson now. I was like, whew. Even telling the story two years later,
0: getting hot, a little hot and bothered, a little hot and bothered. I picture it too. Like you, you said the line, and I can see it and I can hear his voice saying, "Yeah,
1: yeah." Because he's like definitely, you know, dirty and has like the per- a perverted mind and a dry sense of humor, but also a good sense of humor in that he will laugh at other people's jokes. He's not one of those famous people who's like attention on me all the time. He's actually quite quiet off stage and kind of like childlike um but not in a weird way not in like a stunted way just in like a sweet way uh and yeah i really like it's it's one of the more in- interesting personalities i've encountered yeah. and i liked it <laughs>
0: That's wild That's wild what was in the gift bag
1: um, I gave him a copy of me and Christina's book, um, cause I wanted him to remember who cause I, you know, I've been trying to get him on the guys we fuck podcast for quite some time and he is interested. It's just like never the right time. And then COVID hit. Cause like he was supposed to have a new album coming out. I believe last year that got po- postponed. Cause his people were like, yeah, no, he'll do, he'll do the podcast to promote that. And I was like shitting myself. Yeah. Um, so I gave him that cause I wanted him to, you know, because I thought he would like the podcast, because I and I know he likes podcasts in general, because my comedy partner um, saw some kind of an interaction where Marilyn was trying to get on Rogan. So I know that he like is enjoys comedy and comedy podcasts, and is friends with some LA comedians for sure. And um, and then I also gave him a, a DVD of, of a student film that I had made in film school to the beautiful people on like a Bowflex or an Areflex. And uh, and then, like, a maybe, like, a stuffed animal or something. Like, I had looked up, like, what is Marilyn Manson like? And, like, he likes fuzzy things or something. So uh, the other stuff was, like, things that I had researched. It wasn't just all, like, swag about myself. But, you know, when you're giving it. Yeah. You want to, it's a strategic move too. And it's like, if they're going to remember you, they're going to remember you. People, people have certainly given me gifts where, you know, I posted on my Instagram story, like, oh, this was a great cookie I had. Like, thanks so much to Donna's bakery or whatever. Cause why not? It's no skin off my back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, there, there's so many things that can feel really contrived and manipulative. And then there's stuff that's just like, win, win, why not? You know? Right.
1: And you got to make a move. And you know, he, he's, you know, if you've been in the business as long as Marilyn Manson, like you know, that everyone's trying to get ahead, and that, that's certainly not why you know I would have been just as happy to meet Marilyn Manson if I wasn't in this business, probably more because I would have felt no pressure to do anything other than enjoy right. the time. But because I'm me, I'm always like, I can't even be at a concert enjoying myself, I have to be doing business, you oh, know, normal. What
0: I said, oh, to be a normal,
1: yeah, no, I'm just like, always like, I'm always like trying to think, because that's like, I like the entertainment business because you are in many ways in control of your own destiny, but for a workaholic like myself, it always uh, creates a constant feeling of stress and pressure on yourself because, you know, You know, it's also my fault when I'm not doing something. So then I feel like I should always be doing something, which is a great way to be always exhausted.
0: Yeah, totally. Everything is. Everything could be a missed opportunity. Everything could be. Mm -hmm. I end up kicking myself for later.
1: Yeah, and so it's like it. it It's like me doing work doesn't take a lot of thought or a lot of pressure on myself. Me knowing that I need to relax sometimes and enjoy things otherwise what's the point of working so hard that was a much harder lesson to learn and something that I like actively work on and a big part of the reason I even like went to therapy because I had a nice childhood it's like I didn't need it for that (laughs) like and which I thought most people did but I only learned like a couple years ago oh most people actually had like a traumatic childhood I traumatized myself
0: capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma, and they're different. And everyone has lowercase t trauma, no matter what. Like, the, like someone could look at you the wrong way when you're a little kid and it creates a trauma in your body. So it's like, <clears throat> I know, I know like so much about it at this point. Cause I'm, I've just been immersed in the personal development, personal growth world uh, for yeah. a decade now. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> very steeped learning lots of really really interesting things lately, um, about myself and, and, and shocked that I could keep learning things about myself after so much direct training and. and right. And it's but that's
1: positive. Like you want to be, you know, I, I like, you know, sometimes it can be jarring, like, ah, I can't believe I went this long without knowing that, but it, you know, it feels nice to constantly be growing. Like I, nothing I hate more as much as I hate things like going badly. I think I almost prefer that to, being stagnant. Cause at least it feels like something, which could be a fucked up approach, but.
0: Well, I don't know. I think, um, failure is part of success and to be like a fucking cliche, but like, yeah. If you're not willing to fail at all at anything, then like, you're not going to do anything. You you're know? not going
1: to do anything great. That's for sure. And I mean, that's certainly like, you know, just based on, and, and so many things in my, you know, larger scale life, I base off You know, stand up comedy. And, you know, when you are always killing on stage, when you're never bombing, people think that's great, but it's really not. It means you're never trying new jokes. Like, because there's a 0% chance that every joke out of your mouth is hilarious. It just means that you're telling jokes that you've tested so many times, you know, nine out of 10 people like them. And to me, it's like the thrill and the excitement of doing live performance is taking that risk. So if there's no risk involved, like, what do you, you, just like people clapping at for you? Like, that's not why I'm there. I think it's funny when people don't laugh sometimes, to be
0: honest. Oh, that's, I mean, like, you're right. There is a certain, like, je ne sais quoi to that, 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 like, silence. Yeah.
1: I like when I piss people off or I take it too far. It makes me laugh more than making other people laugh. Yeah. I mean, obviously not all the time, but, you know, every now and again.
0: I mean, you gotta, I, it, the only way you get a really killer joke is by risking that. And that's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You got to You're going to tell a lot of that. You're going to tell it in an offensive way. You're going to tell it in a way that doesn't resonate with people or that they don't understand. And there's so many variables too. Like, you know, if you're, especially if you're doing references, maybe they're not from, you know, maybe they didn't have that restaurant in this part of the country that they grew up, maybe they're from another country and they never saw that TV show. Like there's a lot of things going on, especially when you're like me and have just a lot of pop culture in your, in your sets. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get into a, a city. Like, I remember getting into London and going, Do you guys know what Taco Bell is here? Like, that was my first question when I got to London because I needed to know for my stand up. Because there's a whole joke that you have to know how the Taco Bell menu works to understand the joke. So I was like, Well, I'm not going to bother telling this if you guys aren't like
0: familiar. What? Do they have Taco Bell in London? Uh, I think they,
1: they were like, they, we don't, I think they said, we don't have it. And I certainly didn't see one, but that they know what it is, but I still, I feel like I didn't tell it because they just weren't familiar enough with it.
0: Yeah. I was, like, I was there not that long ago, but right before the pandemic and I can't remember seeing one.
1: Yeah. Cause I were, and I remember, yeah, they have McDonald's there. Yes. McDonald's everywhere. I mean, the McDonald's they have in Romania, so <laughs>
0: McDonald's I had in London was so bad and it was so different because it's different animals, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: It does. McDonald's tastes different everywhere you go. And they have different oh. menu items. Like they have like a, like a croque monsieur in uh, Romania, which is the ham and the cheese, yeah. like a grilled cheese with ham basically for anyone who doesn't know. Oh, okay. But yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, I, so I, let's see, there's some stuff I want to talk to you about. One of my, um, so I have this break up with your bullshit community and there's mm-hmm. A group and they call each other boobs because if you <laughs> abbreviate break up with your bullshit, it looks like boobs. But then they started. <laughs> boobs. So one of the boobs has had a question. Um, said ask Corinne about working with her friend on the podcast, like how to combine or balance the two types of relationships, friends and colleagues. And that was right,
1: right. Um, the interesting thing about Christina is we are friends, but pretty much from day one, it, it, there was a business aspect to our friendship. Um, and that's because of how we met. Um, when I graduated, I went to school in Manhattan at the School of Visual Arts. Most people refer to it as SVA. Um, it's a it's a private art school. Uh, I have a BFA in film direction. And when I graduated there, I went to work at a talent management company called Liebman Entertainment. Um, Christina is a couple years younger than me, so a couple years into working there, she came to intern uh for us and we just like vibed she was really helpful there's you know when you're it was a very small office and I was the youngest person and the lowest person on the totem pole there and so I just constantly needed help and there was like I just needed someone who was like on top of it didn't complain when I gave them tasks uh and you know was actively asking me, is there anything else I can do once they were done? They weren't just like sitting at the table, you know, at the conference room table on their phone, waiting for me to ask for something else. You know, you want to, you want an intern to be proactive. And so she had all these qualities and she was really helpful. And she worked on Fridays, um, as you know, in addition to a couple other days, but Fridays in particular, like if you're a good intern on Fridays, uh, in representation, it makes a world of difference because, uh When you're in New York representation, fucking LA likes to wait until 5 p.m. their time to call in a bunch of auditions and stuff. So it was very, very common for me to be in the office till 10 or 11 p.m. on Friday nights. And I was a young, I was, you know, I was like, this is the time, this is the only time in my life I'm going to have abs. I need to be out clubbing. What the fuck? I was (laughs) furious, furious. And I mean, I was working 60 to 70 hour weeks for like, $22,000. $22,000. Like, I mean, just exhausted. Um, and so I like, I, I love that. And, you know, she, you know, we kept in touch, you know, on Facebook and stuff. And, um, after she left and, uh, I always had pleasant memories of her. And then she asked me one day, uh, if I wanted to come to her bringer show, which if you guys don't know, a bringer show is like a stand-up comedy show where you basically have to like, when you're starting out, uh, your, your friends have to pay to come see you to, to allow you to have stage time. And so I went, and I was excited, I love stand-up, so I was so excited to see her. And I and I had always been interested in stand-up and well, very well versed in it, but I hadn't really thought of like doing it myself. I was doing UCB at the time. I knew that improv wasn't gonna be like the thing that I shined in, but I just like never really thought of doing stand-up seriously. I had done it one time in a contest when I was very, like when I was like 16 and then I just, you know, was a fan of it after that. But I saw that and that kind of just inspired me to get back in it. Because it was something that I was thinking of, and then I saw her do it, and I was like, "I can fucking do this." Not because she was, not because it looked easy, but I was like, "No, I have this." And she was very funny, and you know, I reached out to her after that, and I was like, "Well, I'm, you know, going to start going to open mics. Um, do you also want to maybe work on like a comedy project together?" And that's how our comedy duo, sorry about last night, was born. Which, sorry about last night, is like the the larger umbrella that the guys we fuck podcast lives under. Um, and so, you know, we worked together for like three or four years before guys became a thing and became kind of like New York famous, I would say. Like we had some shows that, you know, we could easily draw a hundred people. So like in the indie scene, doing very well. Uh, Cause we were organized. We had a plan we thought of branding from day one, which number one is very, a very female thing that I see. Like women are much better at like the organizing in these preliminary steps. Um, and I also think it's like, sometimes as artists, we almost turn our nose up at the business aspect of art. That's going away more now, but certainly at that time, it was like, oh, what are you like not in it for the art? But if you wanna make a living off of your art, you need to be thinking about the business from day one. And I think like coming from the management world, that was something I was always really comfortable with. And like, even though management wasn't for me and it stressed me out in a lot of ways, I 100% am so glad that I worked there, you know, at that company for five years because I was paying attention the whole time, and I really learned some very valuable lessons. And so, for all those, you know, years before guys we fucked when you know no one was interested in representing us, I was able to manage our career for us. And so we did, you know, you know, we did uh, comedy shows and we wrote you know, a two person show that we performed at UCB and we made videos. Uh, and then finally we, we got into podcasting and started that. And, you know, there's a lot of maintenance that goes into working with anyone, whether you meet them through business or friendship. Um, I think the number one thing is boundaries. Like we, to this day have rules that we try to keep business interactions to email and friend interactions to text message. Um, Cause it's just like a lot, like sometimes like when you're walking through living your life, you don't want a fucking paragraph coming in about how, you know, this TV pilot didn't get picked up. Like, you know, when I sit down with my email, I'm, I am more prepared to see news that is going to annoy me, uh, stress me out. And like to get that on text messages, like a different text messages for like silliness to me, um, or, you know, talking to a cute boy or something, um, Obviously, sometimes you have to, we you know, when you need someone in a pinch, you got to text them. But overall, we've tried to do that. And then, you know, picking times when we sometimes just hang out as friends, like saying like, hey, do you want to just like go to the mall and not talk about business today? Um, and so like planning it. The same way in a relationship, sometimes I'm sure you're like bogged down taking care of, you know, your kid. And then you say, oh, we need to have like a mom and dad date night. So it's the same concept. Only me and Christina aren't banging. So. <laughs>
0: Well, my, my uh, we've learned my husband and I have learned that if we don't have a time set aside both for um the banging uh, but also mm-hmm. for the business of the marriage, yeah, and it will come out at random moments like i'll be I'll be yeah. like putting together a unicorn pom-pom thing with her, and he'll be like, "Hey, did all your client payments come in?" I'm like,." Mm-hmm fucking asking me this right now and then we have a fight because I'm like don't ask yeah. me about money when I'm I don't I'm not at my computer and then and then I don't answer you well and then you look at me like that and then I think I'm a screw up and you know like it just snowballs mm-hmm. you need we now have um, Wednesday night is our night. Like mm-hmm. nothing touches Wednesday night. She she's not home, she's with her grandma. We are together. We have a schedule for what happens. Yeah. And part of yeah. it like money conversations mm-hmm. and um just planning our lives and checking in on, on the goals that we are both working on. Like we both have well being goals. We're trying to get pregnant. We're trying to move. I'm moving to Colorado, Corinne.
1: Oh, wow. My favorite state after, well, I mean, you know, my favorite state after New York city, which is not a state, but oh. <laughs> okay. I love Colorado. That's mm. so fun. Mm. Well, you know, I, I, to Denver or outside okay. of Denver?
0: So we're looking outside of Denver. He works for major league baseball and they have a New York office, but they also have a Boulder office. That oh, my dad owns
1: a baseball card store. That's so cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love
1: that. How fun!
0: He's a programmer. He's a he work. He makes the uh, the app that's on a Samsung TV that you watch baseball on. He makes that app. He's a senior developer.
1: Oh, cool! That, that's going to be a fun move. That's exciting. Yeah, that's like the one thing I wish I could. I wish I could be a little bit more free with where I live in this business. I suppose like I I can't really with the kind of comedy I you know comedy career that I have. Uh, if I was like more of a road person, I, I, I could, but God, it would be fun. I love, I'm in love with New York though. I'll get it. i I, I do plan on getting a home in Colorado at some point though. I love it there.
0: Who is it we're going to, yeah, maybe the weed will get through.
1: Yeah. We'll just keep trying. We'll keep trying. I love, I love Colorado.
0: Mm. I, it's so weird. I've never been there, but, um, in third grade, we had to pick a state to make a map of, and I picked Colorado. And then the next year it was again. It just became my thing if we had to pick oh, a that's state. so funny. I've picked Colorado. And I've always said, I will live there one day. It's the most so random. I knew. And I've never been there. And now his office is there. His sister and her husband are out there. Um, and then Denver seems really cool. So, like, if we're in the area somewhere, apparently everything's really close by. And, oh, my yeah. God. We- so because my mother-in-law and brother-in-law live with us, um, and are, you know, like we need, we need a house that fits everybody or we need two houses. So, oh, so they're all moving with you.
1: Wow. This is a huge move.
0: And so, and
1: are you not concerned that you've never been, you're moving to a place that you've never been?
0: We are going to drive there. Okay. We're going to drive there in April and buy a house. (laughs)
1: Okay, so so like, you know, if you if something happened and you move there and you're like, I hate this, like you you do have a chance to get out of it, yeah. kind of.
0: Yeah, but wow. my sister's been living there for a while, and we vibe, and I I believe her.
1: I don't think you. I don't think you'll you'll hate it, honestly. Like, especially coming from the states you know, like you're coming from New Jersey. It's fine. Like, I love New Jersey. No disrespect. Obviously I'm from there, but you know, you'll be fine.
0: Well, I think I'll like it. I, I, uh, I talked to a, um, a medium and, uh, mm-hmm. and I asked, should I move to Colorado? And the spirit guides were overwhelmingly in favor of this idea and told nice. me that where I am currently is too congested and I will not be able to reach my highest potential here.
1: Mm, that is one thing I love. It's a, it's also out of all the States I visit and I've been to like a, a good amount of the United States because of my job. Um, it's like the outdoors and being athletic, isn't something that is only reserved for children, which I think is so common, especially like on the East coast. Like, you know, people go hiking and like there's, um, I, what the hell are they called? the things where you kind of like latch on to like an obstacle course and like you're in the middle of the air, yeah, like, and you do an obstacle course it's, well, it's a zip, it's beyond a zip line though. Like you're doing a full obstacle course in the middle of the air, like an aerial uh, obstacle course. That's one of the things I did there for the first time. Like you're just constantly using your body and moving and being outside and, you know, going, you know, for the weekend, instead of like hanging out in a fucking 7-Eleven parking lot or whatever we do in New Jersey, you're going to Red Rocks amphitheater. And just, it's like, it's a lot of like enjoying nature and and being outside, and like, oh, such a great dog culture, too. Well, so,
0: yeah, dogs. Oh, That's me. yes. Yeah. So, I'm just yeah. I like to get out of here. And I love, I mean, like, I don't want to, there's a lot of people I don't want to leave here, but um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, maybe I'll start a mass exodus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love, I know, I know, I was dating a guy in De- who lived in Denver last year, and I was so happy to like, have an excuse to go there.
0: Well, now you <laughs> but, have another one.
1: Yeah, and you got go to you got to see go to the um Shining Hotel which is about an hour outside Denver in Estes Park which is also just like a beautiful town. Um it's where Stephen King was inspired to read the, you know uh write The Shining. You probably know that though.
0: <laughs> um, I forgot about that part. My husband will love that. I that will really freak me out, but I would like the, I would like it at the same time. No, we're just great. <laughs> Um oh gosh, let's see. We don't we don't have that much time. So, um this is a, a question I ask everybody: Is uh, you know, e- presumably, lots of uh, lots of your your own bullshit that might get in the way of your creative work you've had to break up with. You've had to get at like it doesn't even occur. Like there's a lot of it, you know. You just sort of too mm-hmm. quickly for it to even get you. Um, but what what bullshit are you still on?
1: Mm, I mean, I'm a very bad procrastinator, but I've kind of handled that, and I by God, I still, I still procrastinate. It is kind of like part of my process at this point, but I'm like, oh, well, that's why I just didn't get married or have kids. So that's the extra time that I saved not doing either of those things. <laughs> To be honest, like, it sounds like a joke, but I'm like, oh, well, this is why I'm still able to achieve as much. Cause like, I just don't have anything else right. besides me to worry about. So it doesn't, it's not really showing up, um, you know, in, in time spent, uh, working and that's good. You know, that's good uh, it would be bad if I wanted those things, but <laughs> thankfully I have a lot of time to just sit and stare at a wall or, you know, watch the entire Leah Remini Scientology series in one sitting. whatever I need to do. Um, so that, and then, I mean, I think, uh, like lack of focus, it's not lack of focus in that I'm doing, like stupid stuff. It's like, I'm trying to do too many projects at once. And then the quality of all them suffer. Um, so again, we, I go back to my Lin-Manuel Miranda rule and that's like why I call it in my head. And anytime I followed the Lin-Manuel Miranda rule, um, the proof is in the pudding every time it's a hundred percent accurate in, you know, in my, in my testing, knock on wood. Um, And so I think sometimes, especially in the age, you know, especially in my business where you feel like you constantly have to be doing stuff like getting your Instagram you know, followers up to sell tickets or making a TikTok or whatever this is, those are little small successes that I just need to, I'm getting better at, just need to ignore other people getting ahead in those areas and focus on a larger goal that will change my life. You know, having a TikTok go viral is not going to change your life. Every now and again, I will say it does. Like my friend Robin Shaw, uh, recently had a video go viral and that did change her life. But that, the fact that is very rare. Usually you'll get a couple thousand followers and people will laugh, but you know, most times it's not going to change your life. And like, I feel like the amount of time and energy you would have to put into making videos, um, is not worth it. Yeah. Uh and that's not to dissuade anyone from doing it. It's and it's also I'm 35. Yeah. Uh but, so that's also part of it for me. Um and it's like that's not and even if I were to become super famous from a TikTok, I go, okay, well I'm at a point where I'm still going to be selective about, it's not, you know, when I was little, I kind of was like, I just want to become famous, however. And now I'm like a lot more selective about that. Like, I wouldn't want to become famous from a TikTok anyway. So then it's like, well, why are we playing this lottery? You know, if you don't want to even win the- Really good- Yeah, I'm it's like okay, yeah, you the what the end, you know, the end goal would be the same but the pathway there wouldn't and the pathway is important to me. That's actually even why I don't play the lottery because I do want to make a lot of money but it won't mean anything to me if I win it. I have to earn it. And like that's like a really weird thing but like the pathway to where you get I think is so important and we um we're often so focused on our destination that we um, don't think about like the ethics of the pathway. And we don't, we don't think about enjoying the path. Um, like so many people are like, Oh, it must be so great to like have people come out to your shows and, you know, not just be performing for, you know, people who don't know you. And I go, I gotta be honest, um, becoming a professional full-time comedian, that like pathway was one of the most enjoyable, um and rewarding experiences of my you know of my life so far as an entertainer uh even when literal mice were i was so broke that literal mice were crawling over my pillow like obviously you know that little moment wasn't great but it made me who i am and it made me appreciate everything so much um and i learned so much along the way and i met so many people and i had so many great nights like i really did enjoy that open mic hustling get go being in four boroughs, you know, in one night being exhausted the next day at my day job. Like, you know, even though there was moments of pain in that overall, even when I was living it. And when I look back, that was a really fun time. It was a really exciting time. And, you know, I remember nights when I had no money and I was like, I don't know, living off like Wendy's baked potatoes or whatever the hell I was eating at that time. And I would just be walking home, you know, from doing like a show at a bar for like 20 people. And I, you know, I would look up and you'd like, you know, in the darkness at all these buildings in New York city and you go, even if this is as far as you get, like how fucking cool you live in New York city and you're a stand-up comedian. Like that alone is like just so much more glamorous and cool and follow your dreams than most people will ever get. So it's like, appreciate those moments on the way there. And I think people, you know, especially online, you see a lot of people who are like so just irritated at people who have followed their dreams or succeeded you know and and made money, and I've never felt that way. I think it's always because I always believed in myself too, so I always knew I would get to a place. but I've never been mad at people for earning money or becoming famous or enjoying the fruits of their labor and it 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 bothers me and confuses me that people are me too. Me too. Uh, Yeah. I'm like, I'm not, and also half the time we're complicit in their success anyway. So I don't know. Everyone's mad at Jeff Bezos. I'm like, do you not guide things from Amazon, you psycho? Then stop doing that if you don't like it, you know, because we have control. That's one of the great things about living in America. We have a lot of control over how and where we put our, you know, how we spend our money, where we put our money. And so like, what? I
0: feel like maybe it's born from like, people want to pretend like life is happening to them. And so- like when someone pops up in a movie or something, or they have some success, it's like, well, fuck them. But
1: right.
0: yeah. Pull over a lot of this.
1: Yeah. And I mean, especially with stand-up comedy, I, I always tell people, no matter what you think of someone's comedy, if you think they're funny or they're not, what I will let you know is, you know, 99% of comedians worked very hard to get where they are. And that's one of the things I like the best, you know, about this business. It's not, it's not the same as, you know, like modeling or something where literally you could just be born hot and walking down the street and discovered, you know, and that's not to take away from models. I know a lot of models who work very hard, but you know, it's just, you, you know, stand, you're, you're on stage alone. There's really n- nothing that anyone can do to fabricate that level of skill, um, in that way. And then the last thing,
0: that you fabricated it somehow <laughs> it's
1: like yeah, what um and then what was part three part three I guess I was like because I don't really have like self-doubt is a problem oh and then like putting on blinders to other people I don't get I'm not I don't get jealous very often of other people because like I'm, I'm I was just talking in, with my friend in the car earlier like I've never wanted to be anyone but me but I do sometimes get annoyed and I'm like why the fuck I was like what do I have to do because you know I've done all these work done all this work I have this level of talent and then I'll see someone who just like isn't a good person isn't a hard worker getting something and you go what in the actual fuck is going on here um cuz I don't like things that feel like luck uh and so I think it's just not getting frustrated by those people and like just any moment that you spend thinking about why someone got something and you didn't is a moment that you could be spending on making yourself sharper. And no matter what the reason is, I mean, even if it's just because that's a person who's hotter than me, okay, I'm not going to get mad about that. That's a part of the business that I work in and I'm not going to get mad about it. And I don't even think it's unfair. I like looking at hot people too, <laughs> Like, you know, it's just <laughs> not, I'm not, yeah. And I, and I think, so it's just co- like a constant, like almost maintenance, the way you would do in a relationship, it's maintenance that you have to do with yourself um, as a person in whatever business you're in. And I think, cause I think it's not obvious. It's not just entertainment business where we're getting distracted by the success of others and, you know, to stop and, you know, do these like kind of corny seeming things like moments of gratitude where I go, well, instead of, Spending this moment thinking about what I don't have and why I don't have this thing, why don't I just like reflect for a moment on all the things I do have and all the successes I did experience and all the hard work that I did do that did pay off and can can, can continue moving forward from that place. And again, it's maintenance. It's not like I just wake up and I'm like, oh, this is everything's great. But it's like you gotta check in with yourself the same way you check in with a partner.
0: I love what you said about looking up at the sky. Like I've had those moments in New York City, and I think it just really got me present to that it doesn't matter how far you've come as long as you are moving toward something mm-hmm. that you care mm-hmm. about and that you're clear that you're clear on the trajectory like um i remember when you got on rogan and i woke up in the morning and saw i screamed for you <laughs> i was like yes like i and <laughs> my husband, he watches joe rogan every single day so it was like up on his computer and i was like oh, Yes! Fuck yes. So you know, like, I'm yeah. I'm so uh, so excited for you. And in no cell yeah. of my body was I like, why not me? I'm <laughs> like what? what? And th- like the more important question I think in those moments is like, okay, who would I have to be being? What would I have to be doing for that? Mm-hmm. Do I even mm-hmm. want that? And am I do I actually want that or do I just right. think I want that because it looks shiny or, you know, whatever. But,
1: right. And I think, you know, that that's a real testament to like who you are, like the fact that you can, you know, feel joy for others. I believe in, um uh, in Alanis Morissette, who is, she's my personal Jesus. Uh, She talks in her song, 21 Things I Want to Love, or one of the things is, you know, she wants a partner who is able to experience feel joy for other people and their successes. And I think that really like, you know, is a reflection of who you are because so many people are unable to do that. And I kind of have a, I have a joke where I say that I never feel joy for others, (laughs) which is not true because I do, but like, I'm also not someone who's like, I'm happy for everyone. Like, yeah, no, I'm not happy for everyone because some people are fucking dirtbags, you know? Um, But I had a similar experience to that. Like when I saw Amy Schumer on like Last Comic Standing, I got I, got so excited. I actually had known her a little bit, not through comedy. I wasn't in comedy at the time, but, um, and she told me that she was on it and I was so thrilled. I was thrilled to see her fucking headline Gotham Comedy Club. Like it was just exciting to me because I think like, it showed me like, oh, she was in a student film last year and now she's on TV. Like, the work that I'm putting in like is possible. So I think when you see someone else achieve something that's kind of in the same space as you, instead of thinking of it, like, Oh no, they got it. And I won't, you go, Oh no, this is a real road that I can continue on and make my dreams come true. It makes it feel to me. It made it feel possible. It didn't make it feel competitive. I go, Oh, it's possible. Cause like, you know, these you know, the famous people just pop up. I don't know. I didn't know Leonardo DiCaprio as a kid. He just popped up one day as Leonardo DiCaprio. So when, you see someone, you know, one of your peers or colleagues becomes famous and to see that is I wildly inspiring. If you, I, I think if you're able to look at it in that way, you go, fuck.
0: Totally. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it's a self-esteem thing. Like you were saying earlier, you have to relate to yourself as enough to, to even be yeah. able to get to that, you know?
1: And you know, it, it, there is competition. Of course there is, but there's also like, there's so much Room for so many people to succeed. Like there's far more people taking up space not succeeding than taking up space succeeding. So I wouldn't worry about that.
0: Good point. I feel like you already gave some of this, but the last question I ask everybody is: um, if there, there's someone listening to this right now who is really on their bullshit, like not moving forward in some creative aspect of their life, what advice would you give them?
1: Hmm uh, God, there's so, there's so many people like that. I mean, just ask yourself the basic questions. Like why (laughs) also, why not? Um, you know, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people have like, like, uh, inside reasons why, you know, whether it be trauma or, you know, self-esteem or whatever it is, why they don't feel good enough. um, And to those kind of voices, I would say like, well, then why aren't you doing the work to fix that? So then you can then live the dream that you want. Um, and then I would also say like, is the dream that you have, what you actually want, or just something that you think would look good. Cause it's like, to me, it's like, why aren't you inspired? Why aren't you motivated? Like if you feel like life sucks or life isn't fair, like not living your dreams isn't going to make it easier or make this go by faster. Like you're here. What's the point? What are we doing? And I think like, no matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you're famous or not famous or rich or not rich, like none of those things, um, matter as far as your worth as a human being. But I do, I would argue that your worth as a human being does have something to do with, you know, are you leaving the world a little bit better or a little bit worse or just exactly the same as you left it. And, you know, as a lifelong Girl Scout, we have the campfire rule where you're always leaving a place better than you came to it. And I mean, that's, you know, if, if someone was to ask me, like, what is your goal for life that, you know, and how would I uh, express that succinctly? It would be with the Girl Scout campfire rule. And I think that if you lack uh, uh, just a a want to leave the world better than it is, then you actually need to just go to therapy because you're wasting everyone's time. (laughs) <laughs> you're wasting our you're wasting your time. You're wasting your own time. You're wasting. There's just there's a lot to do, and it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Like your purpose in life, literally, just could literally just be you know being a picking up trash off the street. I mean, like there's a lot of things you could do that don't aren't huge, but that will make people's life better and your community better. And I think that is like your duty as a as a human. And I know you didn't ask to be born, but you're here now, so might as well make the best of it, right?
0: Well, on some spiritual level, apparently we do ask.
1: Oh, we do. Yeah, and I said, "Can I be born?" I did watch. Uh, what was it, Soul?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, and I haven't watched it yet because my daughter dictates what we watch, and she hasn't selected it yet. We're still on Brave. We're watching Brave over and over again. Brave, Brave, Brave.
1: Oh, she's in this. She's in the repetitive stage. My brother watched The Wizard of Oz like three hundred and sixty-five times. I swear. <laughs>
0: get mm-hmm. one movie and then we go 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 and then she switches abruptly and then it's a different movie go go go. Um, no, but I,
1: I, I easy, so I understand that.
0: <laughs> I, do. I used to, I used to re- repeatedly watch movies, but but um, yeah. I that I asked that medium if I should have more kids, mm-hmm. and um, the spirit guide said uh, that there are three more that are waiting, which three is wild Corinne because I always said I want four and I have one really. Tell this medium that, and then they're like, "Oh, there's three more." How she's like, "However, because of your success that you're going to have, and because of your um, uh, potential fame and the amount of traveling that you're going to be doing, we caution you about bringing all of those children, and and say it's not your highest potential, and you uh-huh. should do it if it is the joy of your life, and like you know you're really exploding about." It. So I've decided I want one more, and that's it. So the other two, okay. I'm like, "Don't maybe Bye. they'll i don't know maybe i'll end up with two unintentionally but what if you
1: have triplets
0: i know crazy fuck you we're coming in (laughs) she said
1: this is the last one (laughs) that's so funny well i think in that way then you just you know maybe maybe it's in some weird way maybe like your your route to like being known is is in something in like the parenthood realm then you know people figure it out People are very smart when they want to be.
0: I could, I could absolutely be on a, a, a platform. Like I pick breakup, either bullshit and creative, whatever. But like, I also had a natural home birth. Like I could be a coach for right. mom. I'm do that. Mm. Yeah. You can do it. Do it. You know?
1: Oh, if I, if I was going to have a kid, I would definitely, I would definitely set up a baby pool in my own house. Don't oh, you yeah. worry.
0: That's what I did in my apartment <laughs> in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I had a. Pool. Yes.
1: Yes. I oh, love that. I, mean, it was awesome. I love that.
0: okay um well unfortunately that's all the time we have for today but thank you so much corinne uh for being on anything anything up and coming that you're
1: um i mean i I just i literally just walked in from a first reopened weekend at helium philadelphia you know covid safe so i'm gonna do it you know they're they're easing back into like live comedy dates it's still very weird and very you know masky and social distance but you know trying to do what we can while you know not killing uh, our friends and neighbors so there's that and then you know mostly i'm concentrating on podcasting right now which has been the savior of covid19 year um so i have the you know guys we fucked the anti-slut shaming podcast with christina hutchinson that's my og show uh it is on luminary which is a you know a pay platform but there's like six years of archived episodes on uh itunes and spotify highly recommend that And then I have a new-ish podcast. We're about, what, like 55 episodes in called Without a Country, which is uh, a a look at the news uh, through as unbiased a lens as possible um, on the Gas Digital Network, but again, accessible for free. on, uh, on It comes out on Saturdays on YouTube and also on iTunes. And uh very proud of that one so if you're kind of tired of the same way you're ingesting the news I recommend that you know getting it from comedians we'll roast it but we'll also give you the info
0: I love by the way I just love uh, the unbiased look and um, I, I don't know, I find it very refreshing to listen to you yeah. talk world events okay. I don't
1: yeah, I'm ex- I get excited because I'm, I'm excited and I want people I want people to want to know what's going on but I, I to me it's like I am I am a truth seeker. And this is like, even in my, the pattern app, it's like, you are a truth seeker. It's like, I end up causing trouble a lot. I don't, you know, I think it is fun to cause trouble, but I don't always mean to. I just really want to know the truth. And it upsets me when people present um, what they want to be the truth as the truth, because that's not what the truth is. (laughs) That's like called
0: an ideal. (laughs) Like you have to be willing to explore it and look. And, and if we're not allowed to look, because looking implies, com- like, that you agree. Yeah. Or, like, what? Yeah. Why don't we listen not just to things that our, people are repeating what we already believe, but listen to things that make you go, like, like tilt your head and, huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. That- or,
1: you know, or, or be offended and just sit with that feeling. You go, yeah, I'm offended. I didn't like what that person said. Okay.
0: Yeah. What if we could expand our capacity to be offended? Maybe we'd be able to have more conversations about things. Absolutely. That's something mm-hmm. awesome. I'm totally with it and love that. And you're a fantastic podcaster and a hilarious oh, stand up. Um, thank you. This is
1: so nice. I'll Venmo you later. I um,
0: <laughs> love it. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll see you in Colorado.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Have the best time at safe travels. Like, can't wait to see your beautiful house and the mountains and the sunshine. Oh, it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Karen. Bye. Bye. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye.